want you to take your Bible, stand to your feet. We honor the reading of God's word. Open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to begin at verse 16. I do have the notes in the Bible app if you like to use that. I've got my points. I've got all the, all the scriptures and, and references that I make this morning, and usually a couple extra. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, reading out of the New Living Translation this morning, and it says this, you may know this by heart, all scripture is inspired by God and it is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, amen, it corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Wow. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to do that for us. Correct us when we're wrong. Instruct us in what is right. To prepare and equip us for all that he's assigned us to do. Amen. Come on, let's ask the Lord to bless it. Lord, we just thank you for your word. And we ask you to speak to us. To challenge us, Lord. If, if we're out of line in areas, we ask you to correct us and instruct us. But Lord, encourage us. Equip us, Lord, to do all that you have called and assigned us to do. It is my earnest desire, Lord. And I even declare now over this people, Lord, that we will fulfill the assignments that you've placed upon our life. And we will be equipped to do all that you have asked of us, mighty God. One day we will look good before you on judgment day. And we thank you, Lord, for your hand upon our lives. Bless this time as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to deal with a, with a topic that I've not heard many pastors talk about, deal with. Um, you know... I had somebody come up to me a couple weeks ago, and they, they said, you know, I, I love how you receive the offering. You've got a good grasp on, on the prosperity gospel, and, uh, you know, I, I, that has connotations with it. I do believe for God's prosperity, but one of the things that I've, I've noticed is, uh, I don't know, how many of you guys grew up in a church that was like gloom and doom, hellfire brimstone, like turn or burn kind of, kind of, how many of you grew up in a church like that? Okay. Not many of us. Okay. Well, maybe I ought to do some more of that. How many of you grew up in a, like God wants to like bless you in every season, everything's rainbows and butterflies and, uh, and God is good and only good. How many of you grew up in that kind of thing? So all the rest of you just didn't even go to church, I guess. I, so, all right. Well, listen, I, uh, you know, today I, I do believe for God's blessing. And you can tell for that by the way that we pray, by, by, by the way we receive offerings. I truly, truly do believe for God's favor and his goodness and his blessing. But one of the things that I've noticed is if, if we fail to talk about difficult seasons, painful seasons... Uh, I've watched the, how individuals, they just say, well, I'm not walking in this abundant blessing of God, so there must be something wrong with my life. Do I need to trade? Check. Here we go. If I'm not walking, is that better for you? Okay. If I'm not walking in just this perpetual blessing, there must be something wrong with me. But let me ask you guys, uh, uh, and, I, and I want you to respond here, okay, so, uh, more than three. How many, since you have been saved, have experienced a season of difficulty? 
you've experienced pain, or you've experienced hardship. I think all of us probably have. Uh, did that surprise you when that happened? Did anybody like, wait, I thought everything was going to be perfect now that I gave my life to Jesus? Uh, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about dealing with suffering, about dealing with pain or dealing with hardship. Last week, and, and, and last week we talked about these moments that God withdraws, moments that, that Jesus himself withdrew. We were looking at John chapter 6 and John chapter 7, and in those two chapters there were three moments that Jesus withdrew from the people. Two of those times is what we talked about last week were really over sin issues. People saw how Jesus multiplied bread. They wanted more miracles. They perceived he was the Christ. He was the one they were believing for. That's all good. But then the Bible says they wanted to force Jesus to become their king. They wanted to fit Jesus into their idea of what the Savior was supposed to look like. Um, when we try and make God look like what we want him to, the Bible calls that idolatry. And Jesus' response to that was he dug out and he hid from those people. We don't want Jesus hiding from us, right? We want him with us. Uh, the other reason we read about in chapter 7, John chapter 7, um, he hid as the disciples went into the Feast of Tabernacles. And part of the reason that he did that is because every time he showed himself in public, he was being persecuted and harassed by religious people. And even in that chapter, they attempt to accuse him and arrest him. But again, he, he withdraws and he hides in that moment. But what I find is interesting, and I want you to notice this, Every time Jesus went and hid, whether it was for a religious thing or an idolatrous thing, one thing that I noticed is that Jesus didn't just withdraw from the people who were committing those acts, but he also withdrew from his own. Jesus also withdrew from his disciples. And what I want to deal with today is... What do we do in these moments, in these seasons, when we feel like, God, you have withdrawn yourself. You've taken a step away from my life. I feel like you're not answering my prayers. I feel like I, you, you don't see the pain or the struggle that I'm in right now. I, I feel confused in where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do. How many of you have ever felt some of those things? And you may question, like, God, what's going on? I don't have idolatry or sin or religion. I deal with this stuff in my life. I, I'm a follower of yours. Why am I suffering? Why am I struggling? And so we're going we're gonna to deal with this today. And I, I guess I just want to preface this by the idea that even as we read here in this verse that we opened with, you understand when you get saved, you, whether you knew it or not, you, you got enrolled in basic training for the military. You go talk to Kevin about what basic training is. You know the very first thing that they do? You know why they walk you through such intense uh, 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 schedule and, and, and rigid regulations when you first go into the military? They want to break you. They want to break you. you got your own ideas. You've got your own will. But they want to break you in order to form you into the soldier that you're supposed to be. Maybe a, a, a more 
uh, relatable example is many of us probably grew up playing sports. And I'll never forget the first high school sport that I played was football. We went into two-a-day practices. Anybody ever experienced two-a-days? Oh, my goodness. I had no idea. This didn't make sense to me. How is me running until I throw up going to help us win a football game? I didn't get it at first. Why? I mean, bear crawls. I still have nightmares about bear crawls. I don't understand. Uh, you know, I discovered later on that wrestling conditioning was even worse. You do all the same workouts, but you do it while you're carrying somebody on your back. Doing suicides while you're carrying somebody. And uh, praise God. But what I notice is you go through this process of pain. You grow through this process of breaking, but when you're on the football field or the baseball diamond or the wrestling mat or whatever your sport was, when you are there and you have worked hard and you're running circles around your competition, all of a sudden you realize that all of that pain has made you into a winner. All of that breaking process has made you into somebody who will prevail over the competition, over the enemy, if you will, right? And so I don't want you to think it's strange. Even this passage in Scripture in 2 Timothy says that when we come to the Word of God and we begin to receive of Jesus, part of what he does is correct us. Part of what he does is rebuke us and instruct us. And we need to be a people that we don't get offended, we don't run away when things get hard. So I've got three ideas for you this morning. Number one, God is with you whether you realize it or not. Number one, he's with you in seasons of pain. God is with you in seasons of pain. And there's so many examples that I could give in Scripture about this. One guy I'm not going to talk about is Job. You want to know why? Because you're not Job. I hear people, they get a hangnail infected, and they're like, oh, my life, I'm Job. You know, No, you're not Job. And you, you have not suffered to that degree. Nobody in this room has suffered to that degree. It was a very unique and interesting situation. Maybe one day I'll preach on Job. Uh, New preachers don't preach on Job, I'll just tell you that. Uh, people get it wrong, very, very wrong. But, uh, but what I want to deal with is, I mean, look at Jesus. Of course, we know about the cross. We, we took time to remember and recognize that this morning. But there was a moment in Matthew 26. Hear the words of Jesus. Matthew 26 in verse 38. Jesus said, my soul is crushed with grief, even to the point of death. He asked his disciples, stay and watch with me. He went further. He bowed his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering, let this cup of pain be taken from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And in verse 42, he prayed a second time, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Church, I, I really want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you've never heard somebody tell you this, but this is the kind of stuff my spiritual father would, would tell me all the time. That when God is determined to use any man or woman for his glory, 
they will almost always endure seasons of pain. And this may freak some of you out, but I really pray that it encourage you. I saw nearly every person within the sound of my voice raise their hand saying they've endured a season of pain. And my hope is that you will realize that your pain is not without purpose. That you haven't endured the things that you have for no reason. And it doesn't mean that you were out of the will of God. In fact, it may mean that you were exactly where God wanted you to be in that time and season. And let me show you this. Paul, Paul, you, you read about his suffering. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 1.8, um, it says, in fact, we, in, we expected to die. Have you ever felt like that? Walking with Jesus, I thought I was going to die. He says, uh, we stopped, but look what happens. As a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. And we learn to rely only on God who raises the dead. He did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Oh, my goodness. You see what it produced in Paul? I thought I was going to die. Oh, my goodness. You guys, I mean, there was a moment. There was a moment. My wife and I, we were driving one time, <laughs> and uh, we were coming back from St. Louis. We were driving home, and a snowstorm began to hit. I, don't know, I know if you grew up here in Hawaii, you don't know what a snowstorm is, but um, it's when snow comes down real heavy and strong, right? And there was black ice that began to form on the highway. We didn't understand that. We didn't know that, but we're... Going down the interstate, it looks mostly clear. There's, you know, some flurries that are going by. And all of a sudden, we hit this patch of black ice. Probably going 60, 70 miles an hour. Because, again, snow wasn't built up and there hadn't been any ice previous to that. And as we hit this patch of black ice, I never forget, uh, we begin to spin in our car. And I... We're facing backwards, and I see the lights of a semi-truck coming towards us. We continue. We do a full 360, and as we begin to take a second spin, we begin going off the side of the road. We fly off the side of the interstate in between a light pole and a guardrail. We fly off completely airborne. And we begin, I, I'll tell you, in a moment like that, friend, you find out exactly what's in your heart. We fly off, it was, my wife was in the car, my daughter was in the car, and her sister was in the car. And, uh, and she was pregnant with Gabriel, so Gabriel was in the car, okay? And so we're, we're going down the road, we fly off the side of the interstate, and in that moment we're airborne, we cry out, Jesus! as we're going. God, it was freaky, man. We hit the side of this, you know, this embankment that's going down, and we're going down backwards and sideways, sliding down this thing. I mean, guys, we have gone back to that very location. In fact, I, I put a Google pin right there, so every time I would drive by it, I remember how God preserved us. There is no way, even as we look at it, that thing is so steep, we should have been over and over, rolled right down that thing. We stayed upright, sliding down that thing. Even when we got to the bottom, I remember opening the door and walking around the car. Our tires were fine. We didn't even lose a hubcap. 
And we ended up sliding down onto a road I didn't even know drove right up to our house. We learned a shortcut that day. <laughs> and, no, it was insane. And now, I mean, you guys, you know what that kind of stuff has produced in me? Now, that's, I mean, that's a, it could have been a horrible situation. That was a, uh, but, but it was a simple thing that happened. And, you know, now I, I have this confidence, like, God, you really can protect us. Like, you really do assign angels to our life to preserve us. So that's why I don't wear a helmet when I motorcycle now. Just it's confidence now. So, no, I wear a helmet when I go fast, okay? So, I'm just kidding, okay? But if you believe in predestination, who cares? So, nah, all right. So, all right. No, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm not going to say that second service. So, we're talking about pain. I don't know why you guys are all laughing. Um, God... Okay, how do I recover it? None of that was in my notes. So Jesus gives a great example. You want to know what a great example of, of what pain produces? In John 16, 21, he illustrates this, and he says, a woman giving birth to a child. Any women experienced that before? A woman giving birth. Husbands, thank your wife right now. Thank you, honey. Thank you, honey. Thank you. Children, thank your mom. Praise God. Uh, women giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. Oh, my goodness. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish. She forgets the pain because of her joy that a child is born into the world. That's John 16, 21. You've experienced this. The pain, I remember my wife didn't even want to go into the hospital. She's in major labor pains. We went and got her a Starbucks. It was the only way I could even bribe her to leave the house. And so I went and got her a Starbucks, and we're sitting out in the, in the parking lot of the hospital, and she didn't want to go in. She was in pain. And she just knew as soon as I get in there, they're going to, you know, it's just going to get worse. But all that went away. When the doctor hands Mariah, when the doctor hands Gabriel to Mama, all of that pain is forgotten for the joy. And this is what I want you to understand. Jesus, he talked very often about pain. He talked about suffering. He himself endured that. But I want you to think about Jesus. Father, if it's your will, I will take of this cup. I will endure the pain. Why? He drank of that cup. He endured that suffering because he knew it was purchasing redemption. He knew it was purchasing restoration and healing and forgiveness for all eternity. And so he endured the pain because of what it produced. The same way a mom will endure pain because of the joy of a child. And I want you to begin to, to understand there's moments where God, yes, he'll allow pain in your life. He will allow suffering in your life, but you need to begin to say, God, if this is suffering that you're allowing to come, and you know it's not because you've done something foolish or stupid. You know it's not because you're living in sin. I said this on Thursday night. There's, there's moments where, you know, there's a quote that I've heard that everything happens for a reason. You believe that? Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes that reason is because you're stupid and make bad decisions. Okay? 
God, why does this happen to me? Bro, you spent 30 years smoking two packs a day. It's not God that struck you with cancer. That's bad habits, okay? So anyway, I better move on from that. But my point is there are moments where pain is allowed from the hand of God, just as Jesus, just as Paul, just as the disciples experience. And friend, I want to encourage you, if you know, Lord, this is the cup that you have given me, receive it. Don't quit. Don't walk up. Don't slander God. You want to know how my wife and I knew we were called to Hawaii? I mean, this was really the defining factor. My We'd received prophetic words, and we'd had invitations and, and all of that. And doctors been trying to get us to come into to Kingsford over a decade before we came. And we never felt like it was right. But we were here for our 10-year anniversary. We were driving around the island, and, and something began to happen. It was very unusual. I began to look at these communities even around this very island. And I began to see these little pockets where... There's a lot of people who live in some of small communities, 40 houses or, or less, and no church. And all of a sudden, this, this weird emotion began to come into my heart. And I, I believe it was this. I began, to, I began to feel God's pain. I, I began to feel the hurt and the burden of the Lord over a people group that was not being reached in certain areas. And I'll never forget my wife and I driving around on that 10-year anniversary, her and I both weeping and crying over the islands of Hawaii as God began to give us. It wasn't because we had a dream or a, or a word or, 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 you know, we got a better offer than what we were walking in at that time. You know, some of those things came along. But when we knew that God was truly giving us a, a, a burden for these islands and, and calling us to this place, was when we began to experience God's heart, his brokenness, his pain over a lost situation. And church, I want to, win. I want to challenge every one of you. I mean, we've, we've got only a handful of missionaries. I'm sure we'll have more in the next service. But maybe you have a desire for ministry. Maybe you have a desire to, uh, uh, you know, to start a life group or a, a ministry or, or whatever it may be. I want to challenge you. It, it, this is not about, well, I, I just need a job. I just want something to do. Or even I want to fulfill a prophetic word. All of that's wonderful. But, but friend, if your heart does not break for the people that God is calling you to, stay out of the ministry. You're going to end up hurting people. What we need is for God, what is your heart? What is your burden? Why, why would I try and encourage marriages uh, if I don't have a heart for it? Why am I going to labor for, for children or young people if I don't have a heart for it? Why would I go to a nation if God has not broken my heart for that people? We truly need to pray, Lord, break our heart for the things that break yours. I feel like it's the greatest way the Lord is going to order our steps and direct us. Now, the second, the second idea is this, that God is with us in seasons of confusion. He's with us in seasons of confusion. Have you ever felt confused? God, am I even where you want me to be right now? Am I even doing what you want me to do right now? Believe it or not, I think Jesus actually felt this way in the garden. He's literally asking his father, 
Is there another way this can be done? Does it have to be the suffering of the cross? Does it have to be me taking the sin on myself? Is there another way, Father? But, but I, I love his resolution at the end. He says, but Father, at the end of it all, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Peter faced a night of confusion. In Matthew 26, Jesus prophesied, you're going you're gonna to fall away. You're going to be scattered because of me. And Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Jesus is crucified. And the Bible says that Peter does exactly what Jesus said he would do. He not only denied uh, Jesus three times, but the Bible even says he went back to his old life. He went back to fishing. And then Jesus, now resurrected, comes along. And I, I don't know why. I always got a kick out of this passage in John 21. Jesus, <laughs> as he becomes reunited with his disciples, is sitting on the beach cooking fish. And he cries out to Peter, who's essentially backslidden, having denied Jesus and gone back to his old lifestyle. And he cries out to him asking, uh, you boys caught anything? And Jesus recreates for him the very first miracle he did when he had met Peter. Throw your net over. And they bring in this miracle catch and immediately Peter realizes it's the Lord. He jumps out of the boat, doesn't even wait for the boat to get to shore, jumps out of the boat, goes to Jesus, and now he's standing by him around a fire. You realize the last fire that Peter stood around, he was denying Christ. Three times denied who Jesus was. I don't even know him. And Jesus gives him the opportunity three times to affirm, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. We're really going to dig into that tonight. There's moments that Jesus recreates scenarios. He takes them down, these paths of remembrance. And I, I want to encourage you. This is a bonus point for you this morning. If you're ever confused, why am I here? Why am I doing what I'm doing right now? God, was this even your will? One of the important exercises you can walk yourself through in your night of confusion is remembrance. Begin to remember, what was it that God first put into my heart? What was the last clear instruction that I know that I heard from God? And you begin to rehearse those things, and all of a sudden, you, certain things can just be, you know, the doubts and the confusion that can come, just kind of begin to fade away. And I talk about these seasons of pain and confusion, and one of the great ones was when my father was in a motorcycle accident, 21 days in the ICU. And here I am, I mean, guys, it was, it was almost ironic, but I got more invitations as an evangelist to come in and hold healing meetings during that season than any other time in my life. In fact, this was January of what, 2016. I had 21 evangelistic meetings during that single month. And my father was in the hospital in ICU on a ventilator for 21 days. The exact same number. 
And I cannot even express to you the agony, the confusion, the pain, all of these things that I was feeling during this time because I'd, I'd be in the hospital room praying for God to raise him up. Don't let him be brain dead. Don't let him be blind. Let his arm come back together. All of these things. And then we go into meetings and sometimes I'm praying for the very same things for other people. And what, what stung at times was these moments when I would watch God open blind eyes. And I was praying for my dad's blind eyes in the hospitals. He would answer it over here, and he wouldn't answer it over here. And Psalm 77 became my lifeline. God, have you forgotten to be good? Lord, where is your mercy? David's asking these questions in Psalm 77. Where's your goodness, God? Have you forgotten me? Where's your mercy? Then there's a Selah. He turns a corner and he says, but I will remember the wonders of the Lord. I will muse on your goodness. I will meditate on your faithfulness, O oh God. And even when he was in his moments of greatest despair, he began to rehearse, God, I've seen you be good here. And I've seen you be faithful here. And if you could do it then, you're going to do it here. God, I know that you're able and I know that you're powerful. And I'm telling you, church, we all go through these moments. It doesn't mean you're out of God's will. It doesn't mean that you failed him, but we all go through moments of confusion. And one of the great exercises we can walk through is remember. Remember, God, I remember your goodness. I remember how you saved my life over here. You preserved me. Oh, my goodness. Jesus restores. Oh, my. Let me go on to the last one here. Is this helping anybody today? Have you ever heard a sermon like this before? Pastors don't talk about pain. We don't talk about, we don't talk about confusion. It's not pleasant to deal with. I don't like crying in front of you guys, but. Praise God. Number three, God is with you even when he appears to be hiding. God is with you even when he appears to be hiding. Again, Jesus experienced this as he was, a, as he was upon the cross, Matthew 27, 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know in that moment that the Father had not forsaken him. But we understand that as, this is what I believe happened as Jesus received upon himself the sin of all mankind. The Bible is very clear that sin creates a separation between us and God. And so there was a moment where the Father had to turn away, where he had to be separated as Jesus bore upon himself the weight of the sin of all mankind. Jesus was atoning for that sin. Jesus was receiving in himself the penalty, the Bible says, that was due us. So in that moment, even Jesus felt that withdrawing of his father. David spoke the exact same words in Psalm 22 in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And friend, I want to encourage you today. There's going to be moments that we all walk through. That you will come into the place of prayer and you feel like the heavens are brass. Where you cry out and you feel like you have no answer. God, where are you? Why did it take 21 days for my father to come out of the hospital? 
Why do we go through seasons of fasting and prayer and we seem to have no breakthrough? We have no answer. I I think about Daniel crying out in that tower in persecution, in bondage, and he's crying out for 21 days, no answer. But all of a sudden he receives a breakthrough. An angel arrives and he says, Daniel, the very first moment that you began to pray, I started to move. And your prayers have empowered me to prevail over demonic principal. I'm paraphrasing demonic principalities in this region and area. Michael arrived. Warrior angel. We must endure. One of the things that you see, and I gave you this list, and this is what I close for. And this is what I close with. Uh, worship team, would you guys come? As I said at the beginning of the message, every time Jesus withdrew from the crowds, you'll notice that Jesus also withdrew from his own disciples. In fact, it's in this very same passage that the disciples go out across the Sea of Galilee and a storm strikes them. And Jesus comes walking across the water. The Mark text actually says Jesus would have passed them by, but the disciples cried out. They cried out to Jesus. And this is what I I want to encourage us in. Friend, if we're going to remain faithful, even in the moments that we feel like God is hidden, God is withdrawn, we need to continue to cry out to him. As Daniel was faithful to cry out to him, as his disciples were faithful to cry out to him, I'm telling you, you search the scriptures and the people who received a breakthrough, the people who received a touch from God were people who were not willing to give up because it was hard. The woman with the issue of blood pressing through the crowd when she should not. Embarrassed humiliated, has spent everything that she has, but she pressed and she received her breakthrough. You think about Bartimaeus, shut up, he doesn't have time for you. But Bartimaeus, the Bible says, cried out all the more and Jesus stopped to bring him to me. Bartimaeus received his sight. They continued to cry out and the Lord ministered. John chapter 6 and verse 16 says the disciples waited for Jesus. The other crowds, they left. They left Jesus. If he always oh, not multiplying bread, he's not working miracles anymore. But the disciples, they waited. They waited. We must be a people willing to wait on the Lord. Verse 68, oh, this is a powerful passage. It says they received Jesus as the giver of eternal life. There was a moment, Jesus was actually giving instruction of what we would later receive as communion. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. If you want to have part of me, if you want eternal life, this is what you must do. And that very idea so offended people, the Bible says that the crowds left him. Then he turns to his disciples and he says, what about you guys? Does this offend you? Are you going to leave too? And I love what Peter said. He said, Jesus, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. We're not going anywhere. Friend, this is what it takes to be a disciple. We must be willing to wait on him. We must cry out to him. We must be willing to receive him as he is and not get offended when he says things we don't understand. When he rubs us the wrong way, Jesus, <laughs> I've cut all my ties and I have nowhere else to go. It's, it's me and you till the end. It's me and you forever. Would you stand to your feet? I, I hope this helps you today. I just want you to know that, that God is with you. He's not forgotten you. Seasons of pain and confusion, and even when you can't sense him. I'm going to pray that the Lord will help us. Can we just worship for a moment? Can we just sing a chorus? And come on, let's just surrender our hearts to the Lord.